0: Welcome to Tech Connect, a podcast that will introduce you to Arizona's most innovative individuals and creative minds. Brought to you by the Arizona Technology Council and powered by Coplex. Our sponsor, Coplex, is an expert team of startup creators located in Phoenix, Arizona. Ranked top seven startup accelerator, Coplex helps non-coding industry experts start successful tech companies and get them to venture ready in as little as nine months. Hello, AZ Tech community, and welcome to the Tech Connect podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Witty, Director of Marketing and Communications at the Arizona Technology Council, and we are joined today by Eric Miller, co-owner of Phoenix Analysis and Design Technologies, better known as PADT Inc., where he is involved in providing tools and services to companies who design and manufacture physical products. He holds a BS in mechanical engineering from the University of California, Berkeley, and has lived in Arizona since 1986. As a co-founder of PADT in 1994, Eric was able to also pursue his interests in IT, graphic design, 3D printing, database programming, and small business management. After over three decades in the industry, Eric is often called upon to write and speak on simulation, design, and 3D printing, as well as on startups and the high-tech sector. Hi Eric, thank you for being here on the Tech Connect podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure.
0: So 2018 has been a busy year for PADT. Can you talk a little bit about some of the announcements you've made so far?
1: It has been. In fact, I had to look it up because there's been so many. So we, we started 2000, we actually ended 2017 on a high note, which kind of gave us momentum when we won Entrepreneur Magazine's. Uh, they have a list of 360 top entre- entrepreneurial companies in the country, and we were 249 out of 360. Oh, so wonderful. That, that, that was the, the end of the year for us. So we felt really good coming out of the the holiday break and got started off. And what we did is uh, the first thing that we, we had that was new and exciting was we opened up a new office in Austin Texas okay. so um, we've always done business in Texas but um, a big part of our business is selling a piece of software called Ansys. it's the the leading simulation tool out there it's what people use to virtually test things on their computer and we distributed across the Southwest uh, in the four corner region as well as Southern California and we were we were um, very lucky to be allowed to expand into Austin, so we're really excited about that. It has a lot. A lot of my excitement has to do with the barbecue available. Nice. Um, it is it is as good as they say on the Food Network, uh, but it's also a great tech community. It's a lot like Phoenix in a lot of ways, but also different. So it's been a great experience.
0: Yeah, I can attest all- to that. Great barbecue.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. It's so, so good. And then, uh, also in February, we signed up, uh, to sell another product. We sell a lot of different things that engineers use. Uh, one of the services we added a year to about two years ago was scanning of parts. So people can get their, their physical products, uh, scanned and put into the computer. And we started selling the equipment we use from, uh, Zeiss, which is a very well-known company. They have a whole group that does inspection hardware, including the scanners we use. So we started selling that in February as well. And then probably the highlight of the year is in, um, I think it was March or April, we did a press release about a fantastic project we've been working on for over a year with Lockheed, NASA, and Stratasys, the people that make the 3D printers we use, where Lockheed actually printed a part that will go into space on a spaceship so not just a satellite or something but an actual crew capsule the orion crew capsule which will be going up very shortly and some of the parts in the door were 3d printed in plastic using uh, materials and and machines from stratasys that PADT helped facilitate so that it's always great to see uh, and we work on a lot of different things but nothing really beats making spaceships (laughs) so that was really cool
0: (laughs) absolutely and that's such a testament to your product if it can be yeah it's
1: a real breakthrough in 3d printing that we aren't just making you know fit form and function test pieces so we can make sure stuff we've been doing that for you know 25 30 years but to actually send it up on a rocket is pretty exciting stuff and look look for more of that uh from lots of different people in the coming years, it's going to become quite popular because what's great about space is it's very low volume and very high cost, which is perfect for 3D printing. So that's, uh works out well. Very um, cool. mm-hmm, Go ahead.
0: And so- Oh, I was just going to say, do you have some more fun yeah, accomplishments for twenty? I'm
1: only halfway done. <laughs> we did we did too much. I, I feel <laughs> right. like we're not going to be able to live up to it the second half of the year. So, uh, one of the things we do with the Ansys software is we provide technical support to our customers across the Southwest. And the team that does that actually won a national award, a Customer Service Department of the Year award. Uh, it's called the Stevie, and we were really pleased to do that. We we submitted uh, data and let them talk to our customers, and you know we won that award and. You know, this guy's it's a tough job. Anybody that's ever done tech support knows that it it sometimes you don't All you do is hear complaints and you never hear kudos. So this was great to win that. And right after that, we won another award. My partner, Ray Chu, who heads up our manufacturing department, including 3D printing, won an award called the Dino Award, which comes from the Additive Manufacturing User Group. And it's called the Dino Award because it's for people that have been around a long time. (laughs) And it it was really in recognition of Ray being a a leader in the industry for 30 years now. Uh, And so that was a wonderful thing to do. And then we...
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. So great products and people.
1: Yeah, products and people. And then um, we added a new service uh, as well about a month ago when we opened up what we call a 3D printing factory here in our offices in Tempe, Arizona. And it's basically taking a 3D printing technology called digital light synthesis, which is perfect for making higher volume plastic parts using 3D printing. And so that we've been using it all year, but it's now something that um, is mature enough to where we're offering it as a service to people around the country. Uh, so we're making lots of cool parts and hopefully some of our customers will let us share what they are soon so we'll be able to do some case studies and it's pretty cool stuff and really? uh, and that that's actually it because i've been we've been so busy that we actually have two more press releases we're not done with yet so yeah. look, for, look for more in august <laughs> awesome
0: awesome will do so before we get into some more of our deeper questions can mm-hmm. you briefly explain the additive manufacturing process aka 3d printing for any listeners who aren't as familiar
1: yeah so if you're not familiar with it and it's you know it's become fairly well known out there but a lot of people you know how does it actually work and, and the name 3d printing is great um what it really is is taking something on the computer um a, a, an object on the computer a 3d object on the computer and converting it into something that can be printed on a machine Usually we, we use plastic, but we can also use metal or paper. The material doesn't matter so much. But the way we do it in almost every technology is we take that computer part and we slice it into these tiny, thin pieces. And then we lay down material or cut material or solidify material one layer at a time. So if you can imagine taking like a a block and cutting into lots of little layers and then cutting out pieces of paper, the shape of each of those layers and stacking them up, that's what we're doing. And we do it by maybe squirting plastic out like in a glue gun. That's the most common technology. And when people say 3D printing, that's usually what they're thinking of. It's called actually, our fancy engineering name is fused deposition modeling. But what it really is is like a glue gun that or a cake decorator, but it does it one layer at a time. Or we use lasers and we melt. The coolest stuff out there right now is we use lasers to melt powder metal. So it smokes and sparks, and it's it's really cool. Um, but it but it's all kind of the same. It's all layered manufacturing, and we're adding material. That's why it's called additive manufacturing. So instead of taking a block and cutting away material, which is the traditional way of making things, we we add material one layer at a time. Great, that's perfect.
0: And so what is the significance of having a three D printing factory in Arizona?
1: So, it's something that when the technology first came out, everybody was like, okay, this is cool to make one, right? And that's what we've used it for for 20-some years is I'm going to make one. I'm going to use it to see what's going on, kind of visualize what I'm doing, maybe see how it fits together with other things. And everybody was like, well, you know, it takes me two to three weeks To get my part made using traditional methods. And if I'm going to do what we call injection molding, where I take plastic and I inject it into a mold, that's the most common manufacturing method for plastic. It can take months to get your part back. And so people were thinking, hey, I can get one part in a day. Can I get a hundred parts in a week? Mm -hmm. And the answer was always no. Well, not really. Uh, It's kind of, no, we kind of had your bets. Well, now we can. And so now if I need Just a few parts when I need them, I can get them in less than a week or maybe if it's a complicated part in a week. So the turnaround time is much shorter than your traditional manufacturing methods. And also, I don't have this upfront cost of making tools. I don't have to make molds. I don't have to figure out how the molds work. All I got to do is just print the thing out. And I just, we just basically have f- for us, we have three machines and they can make, you know, pay on the size of the part up to maybe 10 parts at a time, even sometimes 20 parts at a time. And we just run them and we just print parts.
0: Very cool. And can you maybe talk a little bit about our growing additive manufacturing industry in Arizona and mm-hmm. why you think we've been so successful?
1: Yeah, so, so the industry started here right at the very beginning when, when the industry started, uh, in the aerospace world. My partner Ray was the guy that brought it in over at what's now Honeywell. It was Allied Signal at the time. And he started the rapid prototyping lab over there. And, uh, um, Boeing helicopter, which was, I think, it may have been McDonnell Douglas then, it may have been Boeing then, also brought it in and uh, they 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 created that technology or brought that technology in to help them make parts for their uh, tooling and for their helicopters. And so all of the aerospace companies have kind of been using it. We've all kind of been using it behind the scenes. We started PADT in 1994. We were the first one that offered it as a service back then, almost 25 years ago. And um, it's just been kind of one of those things that, Mechanical engineers, we knew it was there. We always used it, um, but it wasn't really kind of a big deal outside of our little world of designing new things. And then about 10 years ago, we had some major breakthroughs on the cost of the equipment and the quality of the materials we can make stuff out of, and it just exploded. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so that's why people now are like, "Oh, 3D printing is new." It's it's actually an old technology, but it's become affordable and practical. <laughs> so uh, it's moved beyond kind of these high end applications to where you can literally go down to your Home Depot store and and buy a, a 3D printer. Or you can go online and buy one. You know, these home systems aren't as accurate as the industrial ones, but they're there. And um, you know the the whole thing has um, been big here in Phoenix and 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 Tucson as well. Because we have so many people that design products and often complicated products, Uh, the semiconductor industry, of course, is significantly large here. And so the the companies that make the chips make tools and and all sorts of other kind of – temporary fixturing and things using 3d printing and then the whole aerospace industry has been a strong user of it and it's moved into the consumer products and the medical devices which are also strong industries here and it's just kind of a, an enabling technology and, and it's been successful here also because um we've got the right people and the universities have been very supportive of it so both asu and u of a have been very supportive and and uh, uh NAU have been supportive of the technology since it began, and they've been teaching people how to use it since the beginning, and they have really good labs. So when our local engineers graduate from school, they kind of know about it. They, they know the ins and outs of it. And and the latest kind of boom in in Arizona is becoming more of a focal point is driven by this cooperation between the universities and industry. So we're we're all kind of working together with the universities doing a lot of R&D and then the industry just kind of working on getting parts made.
0: Great and retaining our talent. I love it.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's really a good thing.
0: Cool. So what's next for PADT? What, What trends do you see maybe for yourself and then in additive manufacturing and product design in general?
1: I think the trend that's going to continue is materials um to two things. Um let's talk about materials first cuz that's kind of we're kind of in the middle of that. So that's where a lot of research is going. So we've got a lot of really good technologies out there. It depends on how you count them, but there's about five or six different ways to to run a 3D printer. And everybody in those different ways is figuring out new and better materials to go in there. So we have really cool new applications, and that really broadens who can use the technology and how it can be used. So expect to see that really grow, uh, continue to grow over the next five to six years. The other big change, which we're kind of in the preliminary stage of, everybody's promising it, but no one's really delivered yet, is these high-volume Production systems. So the, the the kind of system that we have here in our factory is a is a moderate or medium volume system. So we can do maybe a thousand parts on it. What people really want is to be able to do hundreds of thousands of parts um, in in a reasonably cost effective way. And so big names like Hewlett Packard and Stratasys and 3D Systems and uh, General Electric. They're all putting – or GE, I guess they call themselves now. They're, they're all putting a lot of money into researching. And then hundreds of millions of dollars have been invested in startups uh, in the Bay Area and in Boston mm-hmm. that are developing technologies in this area. So everybody's really hoping to get that. That's the next kind of – step function in the industry is high volume production. The the carbon machines that we have really meet the need of a large number of people. But if we're going to replace injection molding for everybody, we need these high volume systems.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very cool. And maybe talk a little bit about why you chose Austin aside from the barbecue.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. sometimes i think that's really the only reason we, yeah uh,
0: <laughs> the music um, it's
1: yeah the music too that's the other reason that's right i forgot about that um and everybody there's really nice too which is kind of like phoenix i i sometimes we go to other places and people are a little standoffish and we're kind of used to people being open and and they are in austin the the real reason why is that their their cross-section of companies looks a lot like phoenix they have a lot of high-tech uh, more electronics than we do, but but less aerospace. But still a really good mix of companies there, that are you know really pushing technology. Even I don't know if you know the like the Yeti bottles. The uh, yeah, so they're based in Austin, right? And and they're they're really high tech. You know, I thought you know they're just they're just extrude or uh, shaping aluminum, but no, they're a very high tech company. We've been talking to them about doing some work with them. So that's kind of typical you know from your your large electronics companies that are based there to your kind of new startups it's a lot like phoenix in that um there's a lot of smart people kind of working with a lot, a lot of hype and and drama mm-hmm. and one of the problems in in say the trying to do business in the Bay Area or Boston is there's a lot of there's a lot of hype and drama going on. It everybody's kind of like here focused on just getting their work done. And we like that. <laughs> and we get along with them really well. So it's it's been a great experience. Um and and we hope to see we should should see about this, you know, the same amount of business from there as we see in Arizona once we get up and running.
0: That's great. Congrats again. Thank you. So let's talk about maybe the larger implications on society when you consider the potentials of 3D printing, both good and bad. What are your thoughts there?
1: Well, let's talk about the good and then we'll talk about the bad, which is actually very timely because some laws changed that kind of made it worse. Um, So the good is this concept of decentralized manufacturing. So um, without getting into Marxist theory too much, one of the key things that, you know, after, uh, when the Industrial Revolution was going on, people started to figure out is, you know, the people that own the means of production have a lot of power. Um, and so if you if you own the factory and the tools in the factory, um, you kind of controlled the process of how to make things, right? And so we've seen that, um, again, you know, that we, we can go back to, you know, early. 20th century history, but if we really look at now, one of the things that's happened is manufacturing has shifted to Asia. They currently own that means of production, right? We've, we've closed down most of our production factories. So they now control to a large extent whether we can or cannot make things and how we make them. Um, and it's been a good relationship so far, a very beneficial, mutually beneficial one, but that could change in a second, right? So this decentralized manufacturing says anyone can own the means of production. Anybody can make anything if you have the right machine and enough money and material and things like that. So it's it's not, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to start making cars with a machine you buy down at the at the grocery store, but um, with a little bit of investment, you can kind of take control over what's made and how it's made. So there's the kind of the, the bigger picture of that, but also from an economic standpoint it eliminates the need to ship. You can the closer you make something to your final destination, the cheaper it is. So that's another advantage. And it takes labor out of the loop to a large extent. So you may be outsourcing to a low cost, low labor cost provider. Um by using additive manufacturing labor is no longer big in the equation you might it might be more cost effective to to nearshore or bring domestic that manufacturing process so we should see a, a shift in the manufacturing space because of the adoption of additive in manufacturing
0: absolutely and you mentioned you know being close to the area of manufacturing and you're also eliminating it's not only increasing the speed of getting the end product but it's also eliminating all those transportation costs and you know gas gases and the resources spent so
1: environmental impact is significant the the amount of um you know, carbon footprint and resources used in traditional manufacturing is considerably more than additive. And another benefit that's a little bit more nerdy into the product Mm -hmm. development side of things is we're often limited in what the shape of objects are by the manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. 3D printing is certainly not, you you can make anything, but it really opens up the shapes you can make. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a whole new class of parts that were maybe Maybe a, we had to assemble 20 things together to get my object. Now I just print it as one part. Mm-hmm. And there's big time and cost savings as well as reliability savings with that. So to do look for that to happen as well. Greater efficiency, things we could, just couldn't make before. So those are all the positives. Mm-hmm. The negatives are it's a two-edged sword, right? It's a very powerful, decentralized tool, so anybody can make anything. And what we're, what we're seeing is a, a law, the, the federal law, a lawsuit was won. Actually, the laws weren't changed, but a lawsuit was won uh, by a guy who oh, about five or six years ago 3D printed a gun. Mm-hmm. And he actually won that lawsuit, and basically it's now legal for anybody. You don't have to be a licensed manufacturer of firearms to 3D print a gun. Now, that just is an example of there are certain things that we don't want people printing in their home. And one can argue politically whether guns are one of those things or not. But you could think of many things, improvised explosive devices, Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things we don't really want made that are difficult to make. So that barrier to entry to make those things is lowered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the downside. It's rather minor. I think Mm -hmm. the press likes to, of course, make a big deal about it uh, because people read stories that scare Mm -hmm. them and they don't read stories about the fact that we can – we can do multi-part assemblies in one part. Nobody's going to click on that. Right. <laughs> They're going to click on the fact that you can print a gun at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, look to look to see that happening. Um, there's some other things to be aware of on the negative side when it comes to copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, the ability of people to scan and reproduce other people's parts. So counterfeit parts, or, um, uh, maybe when we're talking about intellectual property, like entertainment, that's becoming a little bit of an issue now because mm-hmm. that's becoming more accessible. You used to have to go to somebody like us to, to print out your Superman action figures. And we would say, no, that's copyrighted. I don't want Disney suing mm-hmm. me. And right. it's not Disney, it's DC, right? But still, I don't want them <laughs> suing me, um, and, uh, th- that's going away a little bit. So, so that's the other downside of it. Um, but pretty much other than that, it's, it's, uh, almost mostly positive and with a few intelligent laws, you know, we can, we can deal with the negatives.
0: Right. Right. Yes. Thank you for that. So now let's talk about you kind of as a startup founder as that role. Mm-hmm. You're very yeah. active in the Phoenix startup scene. And maybe can you talk a little bit about the, the evolution you've seen here in our startup community?
1: It's been really cool to watch because, um, you know, when we started our company, that we didn't call them startups, of course. It was, we were entrepreneurs and we were, we were starting a consulting company and just kind of, you, you didn't get money from somebody else. You didn't raise. So that whole thing has kind of changed. Um, so the whole startup scene didn't even exist. And even as, as early as 10 years ago, there were people doing what we would now call a startup. they they were certainly referred to as startups, but we all kind of, did our own, th- everybody was kind of doing their own thing. There, there were little pockets of people working together, but it was a very, um, it was kind of, it, it, you know, we have urban sprawl here and a suburban sprawl here in mm-hmm. Phoenix. We had startup sprawl as well, <laughs> mm-hmm. where everybody was kind of working on their own and, and oftentimes, uh, using resources from out of the state mm-hmm. to, to grow and, and, and succeed. And that's totally changed. Um, there's a very vibrant startup community, very cooperative community, supportive, um, that, um, really works together. There's a lot of very good resources at the city, state, and corporate level. There's lots of people helping each other. There's incubators. There's funding available. There's, there's uh, three, significant angel groups. Uh, the one that I belong to is, which is uh, Arizona technology investors, as well as um, desert angels down in Tucson and a new one, uh, which is uh, Canyon angels. Um, and so, you know lots the more of those angel groups we have the more early stage money there is there's VC people paying attention to Arizona so so we're really at kind of the awkward teenage years right now we're all we're all kind of hanging out together we're all kind of figuring out what our future is going to be and what we're we're really on the edge of is some successes and that's if we're going to succeed as a as a strong place for startups we need you know, four or five really nice successes. And the potential's there. There's a lot of good companies that are right on the edge of that. And when that happens, uh, it'll really put Phoenix on the map. People are watching us and kind of waiting for that. That's kind of where we are now. There's some good ideas, but nobody's going to invest until those ideas actually make money.
0: Yes. Yeah. No. And I, I like that you pointed out kind of the having those people call them unicorns um, come out of yes. the community. Yeah. So we um, we went to Waterloo, Canada, and I think it's RIM who made BlackBerry. It's a great yes. example of a company mm-hmm. like that who invested in the local startup community. And it's it's grown leaps and bounds. It's very impressive. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, they, it's been very impressive. And that, that's one of the things we've been missing is we haven't had that. Um, we've, we've got a couple of very, very good um, successful Uh, entrepreneurs that are kind of behind the scenes making investments. Uh, Mario Martinez being probably the most active and most uh, positive influence on a lot, in a lot of different ways, but he's just one guy and there's two or three others. We we need, we need, dozens of those people. Um, and, a, and a kind of a side note, you mentioned RIM. So one of the companies I think is going to be one of our success stories, a company called Sirius Integrated, was started by, I think he was the number four or five employee at RIM. But uh, he came here to Phoenix to for warm weather and uh, started a company here. But that's that's an example of a successful startup spending other successful startups, even across geographies.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Small world.
0: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> What other trends, challenges, or problems are you witnessing in our technology and maybe also startup community?
1: Well, in the, in the technology community in general, the biggest problem we're facing is, and it's 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 a problem and a blessing, is mergers and acquisitions. So, um, a lot of companies they're just getting bought and sold, and that kind of stops product development. We I might. Mean, my bias is I want to see new products develop. Not only is that the way we make our living, but it's my passion. Mm -hmm. And when companies are constantly going through this cycle of acquisition into larger and larger companies, that creativity and new product development tends to get delayed or oftentimes just stopped. And uh, we see it across our company as well as many of the companies we work with that, that support larger companies in that, you know, you just you get going on a project and it gets canceled because the customer got acquired, and it might get started up by the new entity or it might not. So it's it's a significant, it's actually a significant problem in the marketplace right now, mm-hmm. um, and we're seeing a kind of a uh, a slowdown in new product innovation because of that. Um, the, the word on the street, the literal, literal wall street is investors are tired of that. They want to see new product development. So hopefully, um uh, the, the powers that be, the board of directors will spend their money on, on developing new products. And so we hope, we hope to see that, um, the, in the startup community, um, I think the biggest challenge we face is funding. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we. We don't have – I've written about this a lot, and sometimes people get upset about it. But the reality is we don't have stupid money here. Mm-hmm. And, and there are other parts of the country that just have people that throw money at stuff that they like. And it, they're not necessarily making smart decisions. They're, they're betting or they're just going on, I like that person or I like that idea or it sounds cool. Um, and we don't have enough money for people to act like that. It's, it's real pain if they lose their money. So we have good investments, but they're not necessarily high risk. Right. Um, If you've got a really good idea with moderate to low risk, you will get funded in Arizona. That's not a problem. Uh, Lots of great companies get funded every day here, every month here. Um, It's the riskier ones that also have the higher return potential Mm -hmm. that are really struggling to find funding. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's a numbers game. If we had enough wealthy people just kind of throwing money around, we'd have a lot of – you can't always pick the winners and losers. And so if we were just funding more companies, we'd have more winners.
0: But we might have more of that drama we were talking about too.
1: Yeah, that more drama, right, and more people wearing uh, T-shirts with sports boots, which I <laughs> – well, and shorts. Somebody was wearing – we had a startup event last Friday, and there were some people wearing that. I was just like, Guy, if you look like a sitcom, of a character in a sitcom – I'm thinking of the sitcom Silicon Valley uh-huh. on HBO – you probably shouldn't wear yeah, it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, that's interesting. You talk about product design before as one of the challenges, and you, you also mentioned the potential of 3D printing being – able to be more innovative and create mm-hmm. more innovative and unique products. And so I, I love that, right. that you're, you're making a solution for the problem you see. So kudos.
1: Yeah. It's a coup, like a very important part of like making that fast and
0: affordable. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So last question I mm-hmm. saw in your bio that you're passionate about cooking. And I know we had talked mm-hmm. a little bit about barbecue. So mm-hmm. can you, let's talk a little bit about 3d printed food. Have you tasted it? What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, some people accuse my passion of being eating and not. <laughs> <laughs> I like both. Um, I have only sampled some chocolate. There's some. There's some really cool uh, chocolate 3D printers, and I've sampled some of those. And of course, it tastes like normal chocolate, but it looks really cool. Um, I have I have not been able to um, get a sample. There's a there's a company that's making a pizza machine for NASA to go on the space station.
0: Interesting. And I've
1: been trying. We know some people that know some people there, so I've been trying to get an invite to sample that. Uh, the people we know who know people said, "Don't bother. It's still not very good yet." But <laughs> yeah. um, there's a there's a lot of work going on in that area, and where where we of course, in the dessert area is where most of it's going on, and, and so the taste isn't going to be different, but it's really cool to be able to do customized desserts uh, with maybe your company logo or you know your, your valentine is actually like a, a bas-relief of the place you propose. I don't know. There's lots of people doing yes. crazy things with it. Okay. So um, I may ask – so you can buy a Lego Mindstorm. That you can turn into a pancake um, 3D printer. Really, and I may actually, I may actually buy that this for Christmas this year because I want to give that a try. Oh, absolutely! But yeah, it's kind of cool. You, you kind of program it, and you can make shapes with uh, pancakes. So that's a good, good start.
0: <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, I've been most intrigued by that portion of it. I have to admit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I, I, what I'm really looking forward to is, um, you know, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I almost made it through this interview without mentioning that. <laughs> uh, and so, I want a replicator. Since I was a little kid, I want a replicator. I want to yeah. walk up and say, "I want a turkey meal," and I want it made. And right? and and really, it's not it's not that far away. Um, we do, we're we're just figuring out the details, and we and we haven't really talked about bioprinting. But the same technology that we can use to print – we're starting to look at to print replacement organs for people mm-hmm. is, of course, similar to what we would use for food. So you're, you're making organic objects, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot of research going on in that area, and it's pretty exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eric, so much for being on the podcast, sharing with us the incredible accomplishments of not only PADT, but of the additive manufacturing industry in general. Um, I think it's awesome that we have such an active community here in Arizona, and thank you for being such an advocate for the industry.
1: I truly enjoy it. It's, it's fun for me.
0: And thank you also for being such a great member and supporter of the Arizona Technology Council.
1: Again, something else I truly enjoy, so it's easy. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Eric, and thanks, everyone, for listening today. Thank you. Please share this episode with your friends and subscribe to TechConnect on Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts to get alerted of future episodes. If you know someone that should be featured on TechConnect or have a question – please visit aztechcouncil.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Hashtag TechConnectAZ.